Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me Monica Neubauer. As a maverick motivator, Monica believes life is meant to be lived fully. She is an adventurer in every sense of the word. Her experiences include being a television actress, an international traveler, and a lifetime entrepreneur in real estate and retail fashion. Monica studies firsthand the cultural differences that exist within the human experience. Her broad perspective is inclusive, and with her direct, no-nonsense speaking style, she challenges the audience to think in different ways as they look to shape their futures. Monica encourages people she connects with to acknowledge where they are, where they want to be, and to make intentional choices about their use of time, money, and relationships. Can you tell why I like Monica? Because she is so <laughs> on it. <laughs> I like doing different kinds of things, Bridget. I like doing different things. <laughs> well, let's talk specifically about one thing, and that's public speaking. Right. Why do you like it so much? Because I'm a performer. I mean, my mom told me the story when I was two years old that I was sitting on the beach and, oh no, this one was at home. There was another one similar as a small child. I'm sitting at home watching the TV and I turn around and I said to my mom, mom, I want to be on TV, not watch TV. And so I have been a performer since I was a small child. It was just a matter of uh, which format, when, how, it's just in me. I love it. What about people who are not performers? I mean, I, I know me personally. I I watched a lot of television. I love Murder, <laughs> She Wrote. I, I, I love Murder, She Wrote. I was in bed by 8 o'clock on Sundays, not because I had to go to school the next day. Yes, I did. But I, I just, I, I watched Murder, She Wrote. It came on 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on CBS, and it went off at 8, and I was in the bed by 8.15 probably. But I watched television, but I never really wanted to be on television. I never saw myself as an actress. What do you say to someone who, who just isn't an actor or an actress uh, in terms of owning the microphone? How do they do it? Well, they need to just get a little bit more training. Yeah. You know, some of us, you know, you've, you've heard of that book, um, Talent is Overrated. You know, talent is a good thing, and, and that author talks a lot about, like, professional athletes who will come in, and they may have a whole lot of talent and just be generally raw, really good, but if they don't develop the skill, it's those athletes that work harder, get the mindset right, and learn the skill that are the most successful. So I'm the, I'm the person who has to, you know, force myself to practice because I know I can stand up there and do a good job. You know, I mean, prepared, I'm always prepared and I'm always excelling in my craft, but I can do a good job off the cuff. And so I want to do a great job. So I practice, but people who aren't as naturally comfortable in that are going to generally, if they want to be really professional, and really good, are going to be much more practiced and more invested. So they just need to say, I'm going to get the skills. There's skills to this. I want to do it. I'm going to learn the skills and they can, you know, if they practice and do it, they'll 
It's just like anything we put our mind to. Exactly. And, and something that we have to realize is each one of us is really gifted in certain areas. And each one of us is able to do certain things or perform certain actions without yeah. even think seemingly without thinking about it, just effortlessly. Right. And yeah. there are some of you out there where you can go into someone's kitchen, open up the cupboard, open up the refrigerator and take a jar of mayonnaise and egg and a wilted piece of lettuce and create a five-star meal, right? That would not be me. <laughs> wouldn't be me either, right? <laughs> I'm so but grateful I'm, for my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for great cookbooks and, and the yes. Food Network channel, right? Yeah. Each one of us has those gifts and those talents and those skills where we don't even have to think about it. And then right. there are those of us where we look and we see someone who's able to do certain things and yeah. we have to put in the work. So it, it, yeah, we have to put in the work, right? Well, but even me with that, you know, being someone who's a performer and loves being in front of people, being in front of people, I don't have that fear. Um, I have spent years working on my craft, learning my craft, going to networking events, learning how to do PowerPoint, learning how to stand close to the mic or too far from the mic, you know, learning stagecraft and where to stand and how to use better words, how to not talk so fast, how to not talk so loud, you know, <laughs> you and me. Oh, MG, Monica. <laughs> It's, you know, so there's so many nuanced things that even if you're naturally good at something doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it at a high level. It, it helps you get that better start. And for some people, they would say, oh, I don't need that skill because I'm just good at it when that's not really true. It's the, it's the fine details. It's the yeah. small things that you really don't think about. And you talked about some of the things that you do to stay sharp, to stay on top of your game. I, although it may sound a little boring, I kind of want to talk a little bit about small things like how close to be, um, sure. uh, how, how close you should be to the microphone and uh, staging and positioning yourself. And talk yeah. to me about some small things the best speakers do that the audience may not even know that they're doing, but it all factors into creating an overall stellar performance. Yes. And, you know, I had not, you know, being in real estate, I came into the business world a little bit later and being in real estate, I've seen a lot of really excellent speakers, but in real estate, it's a lot of people sharing what they know. So you have a lot of mediocre speakers, quite frankly, who either are trainers or who have been successful in real estate and they're sharing what they know, but they're not necessarily trained speakers. I went to the National Speakers Association annual conference and I watched these, you know, much speak, you know, to much bigger audiences, international speakers. And I was like, wow. And all the things that I had heard and kind of had been working on, I saw them so much more fine-tuned in those people. A couple of the the way you move your body around on the stage needs to be very intentional. A lot of people will naturally just pace and they're, put their anxiety into their movements, and that creates a distraction for your clients. And there's another thing that I um, notice that a lot of people do, and I'm not quite sure why they do this as speakers. I saw this a lot during the recent um, uh, political conventions was they had their, um, their notes to the right and the left. 
the uh, teleprompters to the right and the left. And so you knew they were looking at the teleprompter to the left or to the right. And then occasionally they'd look into the center and into the camera as prepared. Um, I see some speakers spend a lot of time looking over to the far left or the far right. And I keep thinking to myself, what are they looking at? Um, so I don't know if there's some cheat sheet or something over there, or if there's safety for them to not look at the people in the back of the room. Um, but not connecting with their audience members. We need to be looking, you know, you need to find those 10 audience members who are really interested in you and connect with them and make that good eye contact. So there's a couple right there is it's not so much that you notice what people are doing when they do it well, but you notice it when they're doing it badly. It's amplified. It's, it's really, yeah. it's, it's interesting. And I think that's part of our human nature. I mean, I think about customer service situations where if yeah. someone gives you pretty good customer service or good customer service, you don't say anything for the most part, you know, right. but if someone messes up, for instance, yep. I love Instacart. I'm always getting groceries delivered, never have a problem, but you let my jar of pickles go missing on one of these orders. I'm going to say something. So whenever right. something goes wrong or yeah. is, is done imperfectly, if you will, it yep. catches our attention. It's just amplified for whatever right. reason. I want to talk about those two pieces of advice that you gave, blocking your position on the stage, if you will, and when we say stage, we're not talking about you're at the Grand Ole Opry or anything like that. At the front of a room, at the front of a training room, that's your stage. Right. And I want yeah. to talk about uh, eye contact with your audience. So with blocking, here's something that you can do. Super, super simple. Easy as yeah. one, two, three. So if you have three points that you're going to make in your presentation or you have three sections of your presentation, start your presentation in one area of the stage on the far right side, if you will, but you got to make yeah. sure you look at everybody. And then right. when you get ready to make your next point or introduce your second agenda item, then move to the middle of the stage. And then when you get ready to introduce your third agenda item or whatever it is, move to the far right of the stage. Just be very intentional and stay within that that space. Don't do a lot of pacing and moving around. Never talk with your back to your audience. Never. Even if you decide to go to the back of the room, do not talk to your audience from back there. Your voice travels in the direction you are facing. If you have your back to your audience or you're talking to your audience's back, then they cannot hear you well. So- right. Use that blocking where you just take up three specific spaces of the stage with each one of your agenda items. Additionally, always make sure you start in the center, though. No matter how many bullet points you have, start in the center of the stage, if possible. I know sometimes, depending on how the room is set up, you can't always start right there in the center of the room. Yeah, you love the table setup when you come in. Here's where you, you know, the profession, another area, the professionalism comes in with that when they're doing a panel in your room for the next session. And so you come to the stage and there's a podium and a table for five all the way out to the edge of the stage. So you have no choice but to either be behind the podium or behind these awkward chairs or down on the floor. And you've got, you know, 250, 300 people in a room walking around on the floor is possible. But again, then you have to shift and say, how am I going to walk around on the floor to connect with people with, uh, with a minimum of back exposure? Because you're obviously going to do some if it's that way. And 
you don't know necessarily what you're going to get into. You know, we can go and investigate our rooms beforehand. But if I'd gone to that room last night, it was empty. I got a big stage. And now I show up and it's set up for a panel and I can't move it because, you know, I have to cooperate with the environment I'm in. Um, so, yeah, those are the, the flex the flex things of being aware of that. And then even if you can't do what you planned, making sure you're still doing it in a way that's connecting well with your audience. That's exactly the point I was going to make, Monica. No matter you know what they got set up or how it limits your movement, your plans, the number one focus needs to be, I need to give this audience the kind of experience I would want to get if I was sitting out there in one of those chairs. Right. Then the second point you brought up was about the eye contact. I'm like, yes. you see where I'm like, what, what are you looking at? Well, do I need to go over there? something? I know. <laughs> What's going on over there? I should look over there too. <laughs> and that weird thing they taught us in public speaking 101 in college, where you find a a spot on the wall in the back of the room or stare at the clock and talk to it the whole presentation. No, people, stop doing that. that. Don't do that anymore. Do this instead. I want you to pretend there's a diamond, an imaginary diamond drawn over your audience. I want you to spend a few seconds looking at the far left corner of that diamond, a few seconds looking at the far top, the, the top part of the diamond, a few seconds looking at the far right corner of the diamond, and then a few seconds looking at the bottom of the diamond and then a few seconds looking at the center of the diamond that ensures that you're giving your entire audience eye contact so don't do it make the eye contact don't just look there look at a person pick a person in all of those spots look yes monica find a friendly face and yep. talk directly into the eyes of that person. And that lessens some of the anxiety too. Because yeah. oh, now yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. talking to, right, this one person right here and this one person in the back, toward the back of the audience, one person over here toward the right side of the audience, one person down here in the front, and one person in the middle. So now I'm only talking to five people as opposed to 500 frightening people. But one of the things that's good about keeping that kind of example in in your mind is because if you have a tendency to talk to the people who are in the front row, well, they're obviously excited. I did have somebody um, sleep on the front row in one of my classes. And before we all think it's because I'm boring, no, they would have slept. It was one o'clock anyway. I think actually the front row is a safe place to sleep because then I'm the only one who can see them sleeping. Anyway, so normally the people on the front row are excited to be there and they're engaged. So they're easy to look at. But I really love looking at the people in the back of the room, like you said, all over the room because they feel like they're seen. And I find that when I'm looking all over the room and it comes time for question or engagement, even the people in the back of the room who did come into the room first, a lot of them, <laughs> they chose the back on purpose. But when, when they find the speaker is drawing them in and is dynamic and they want to engage, I want to continue to draw them into me. So I will look at them because I believe I'm bringing something to them. You know, you've heard the phrase teach to the back of the room, um, but I don't want to always be there. I want to be all over the room, like you said, but I believe by being all over the room, that helps them engage. If I never look to the back, they're not going to, they're going to feel tuned out and a little bit excluded from the presentation. 
it gives you a sense of ownership of your presentation when you yeah. are looking in all areas of the room. It lets everybody know who is in charge of this presentation. And they're going to think twice about trying to railroad you. They're going to think oh, yeah. twice about trying to be a difficult audience member. Right. <laughs> right. Cause you're engaged with them and gosh, you know, imagine that they might even just enjoy themselves. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that. <laughs> How nice would that be, right? Exactly, exactly. And that way I can tell those who are responding as well. And so if I want to engage someone in the back of the room or I'm walking, it's like, oh, you have a question. I'm seeing them already. So if they raise their hand, my methods are very engaging with my audience. And if I'm focused all over the room, then I'm more likely to see a hand with a question easier than I am if I'm not you know, paying attention. It's, it's obvious that you put a lot of work into making sure that your presentations do resonate with your audiences. Yes. Is there any specific secret trick you have, Monica, for always making sure that your message is one that just sticks? Well, there's kind of two, two things. One of the things that makes my audience engage with me is... I do have a lot of audience interaction and often teach for two or three hours, you know, even longer. And so it, it's very important to me to establish um, that it's a safe place. So if somebody asks a question that was just asked or somebody asks um, what's pretty obviously to most of the people in the room, not, you know, there's no stupid questions, but sometimes people ask things that you either you just said it, whatever. I'm always respectful of the question askers. So that helps everybody stay engaged, which is important to taking something away. They don't turn out or feel unsafe, that kind of a thing. Um, the other thing, and I say this at the very beginning of many of my messages, not my keynotes, because they're a little more, um, you know, filled with stories and things like that. But when I'm doing content teaching, I will talk to people right up front at the beginning, I want you to have takeaways. And I want you to choose a certain number of things, one or two or three things that you're going to take away from this session. I don't care how many notes you get, as long as you get those, you know, two or three takeaways, even if they're small, something to take away. And depending on the session, I'll often um, get close to the end and I'll wrap that up with them telling some of their takeaways and it forces them to step up and own, okay, this is what I'm doing. They're verbalizing it with their mouth. They've got it written down somewhere and I feel confident that they're going to get, get something of value that they can take into their business. You're responsible for their learning. Yeah. No matter if you're giving a training, a workshop, a keynote, it doesn't matter these yep. people are here to learn from you, whether you're giving them yep. stories, whether you're giving them research, whether you're giving them data points yeah. and making them feel safe and comfortable in your control because yep. this, this is your, this is your show. You're controlling it yep. and making sure that it was time well spent. You, yes. you can't go wrong with those two. Yep. You can't yep. go wrong. Make it safe. Make sure they have takeaways. Yep. Uh, what do you do if something just doesn't work with technology? I, I'm always prepared to not have technology. I, I'm familiar with technology. I'm, I'm very familiar with technology. And yet, if it's not there, I want to be able to provide 
an excellent experience for the attendees. So if that means that the keynote is just me, well, I'm going to be more animated then. If I'm teaching a class, I mean, obviously, if you have a power outage, that's, you know, there's a problem there. But if it just doesn't come together, I mean, I keep an additional thumb drive with the program in case I need to use somebody else's uh, computer. I generally will have a paper copy of my materials with me. So if I need to flip that out to just kind of keep me reminding what I'm doing, you know, in a longer program, I've always got that with me to use as a guide there, you know, they may have a handout or notes and I'm, I am the kind of person, if you give me a topic, I will be glad to talk to you about it for one hour, two hours, three hours. <laughs> That's not a problem for me. So I have some confidence in that. I mean, I, I don't like not having the organization of the slides, but honestly, sometimes when I teach other people's materials, you know, like it was a program written by somebody else and then I'm just teaching it because of a certified or, you know, you're licensed or whatever. Um, I don't always like those PowerPoints anyway. So quite frankly, if they're gone, you know, I don't even care. Um, <laughs> and, and I can then engage, you know, if I don't have videos or other things that I'm, that can engage and entertain from the front, I will put them in more small groups so they can engage together. I'm very much a town hall speaker, teacher, and so I'll ask for volunteers. So I will engage the audience even more if I don't have technology. And so, but I don't, but I don't delay. We're going to get started. We're going to do this. If somebody can work on it behind my back, that's fine, but I'm, I'm going to get them started. And that's really important. If you do have a technology fail, don't delay waiting for yeah. that to get fixed. Know your content well enough so you can forge ahead. Right. And it's yep. just, it just shows respect for your audience and right. they understand and they're going to be, uh, un, you know, accommodating and flexible and, mm, uh, sometimes right. To, and they'll be mad at us, even though it had nothing to do with us right all <laughs> some the of them will be yeah you need to go right. on and get the show on the road right and yeah. and so it's it's imperative that you know your content left and right now you said something that caught my attention you said i'm kind of a, a town hall speaker yeah would you say that it's important for speakers to know i guess you would call it their speaker personality for instance i'm a workshoppy type person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I love a workshop. I love giving you agenda items and giving you learning points and, and yeah. activities. I'll do a keynote, but it's not my jam. Uh, yeah. it, you know, but I, I love a good workshop, not a training where I'm sitting here teaching you how to do something, but a workshop where we're talking about the how and the why and, and what does this mean? Yes. So how important is it that speakers recognize the swim lane that they're in. Like, like I said, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of keynotes. I'll do one, you know, if it's, yeah. if it's an area, a topic that interests me, but not so much. I'll do yeah. a webinar in a second. I'll do a workshop in a second. I'll do a conference breakout. How important is it for people to understand what's their, I'm just going to call it speaker personality. Well, I think it's important for them to understand what they're good at, but I don't know, you know, it's kind of like we want to pick our topics and talk about those kinds of things. And as far as picking the best environment, how I look at that for myself is this may be the entry point, the way I came into speaking, but maybe I'd rather learn this or do this. And so because I like change so much, 
I want to do something different. So I do enjoy the workshops and I love the engagement with the learners in that situation. And I will always love having that back and forth. And I love the spontaneous conversation that comes out of it and the problem solving in the now. Um, but I love the art of the performance and the keynote. And so I may choose to develop one area for a while and then I choose to develop another area. So I think if, if a person finds that they really love this, we'll go and be good at that. But if you want to do something else, there's a different set of skills for a keynote speaker compared to a workshop program. And like you said, you, you know, you can do both. I can do both. But if I'm not, you know, boom in that groove with one, I need to recognize there's different skills. So if I want to expand into that, go get, go get those skills. Back to what you said earlier. Yeah. If you really want to do well at it, then you, you get the training. You, you yep. develop yourself in that yeah. area. Note to self, I'll work on developing myself in that area of keynotes. I don't know. I just like moving around and talking to folks and having people standing up and hollering and going, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that's one of the things with my keynotes is I want to, um, as I progress in them and move them around, I want to have a volunteer. I want to have the audience still have small group talk with their neighbor person because that's so me. As much as I can easily talk for a long time and do that sometimes, that's not, I don't feel like it's the best for them. They're going to have a good experience if they get to talk as well. So, and I think we're even seeing some of those keynotes shifting a little bit. I mean, there's certainly, it's also a factor of where are you keynoting? You know, there's celebrity keynotes, and they're probably not going to have as many of the, you know, we're going to see Platon come and give his message, and he's going to give his message, and he doesn't have that. And, you know, he's got his 45 minutes, but he's, you know, my keynote situations are going to look a little bit different, and people are going to hire me because they want the takeaways, or they want the application, and that's kind of what goes with it. So it's also noticing what do you talk about and what's the best way to communicate that to your audience as well. How do, how do you get to that takeaway? Is it by teaching, speaking, stories, or audience engagement? You've seen tons of presentations. You've given tons of presentations. Yep. What would you say is the number one thing, shouldn't use thing, it's such an empty word, but the number one thing that the best speakers always do? I know, that's a tough one. I'm sitting here trying to think myself, if I had to narrow it down to one thing that the very best speakers on the planet do, what would it be? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have to say it's some kind of a story. There's some, somehow in there, there's a story. Like I watched Connie Podesta once do a situation with audience members. She works with volunteers from the audience. And it wasn't so much of a story, but she kind of got into this person's life and she emotionally engaged us. And I watched um, Mark Sharonbrock and I, I was just like, wow, I'm so engaged in what he's talking about. And he's sharing stories and he's just drawing you in with excitement. And that for me 
for me is what I enjoy most when I'm watching an amazing speaker is where is the story and how is this connecting to my life in such a way that I'm really drawn into it. So awesome. that, that's my biggest thing. I, you know, I want them to be professional, meaning really good at it. And one, because I'm also the kind of person who I will come into a situation and I will, I will walk I mean, watch everything going on. And if there's a lack of professionalism or a disconnect, I have to let that go in order to hear their message. So it goes back to you don't notice it unless it's not good. If there's a problem, I'm going to get agitated and I'm not going to hear it. So it, it's going back to that smooth performance, the smooth stories. They know what they're doing. And that's why you want it to kind of come across seamless, which for someone like me who does more spontaneous speaking, that's why I have to work on mine a little bit more. That's a skill I have to do is practicing my keynote to make it smoother and all up here because the spontaneity works some, but not as good. What else do we need to know to make sure we always own the microphone, Monica? Oh, <laughs> you've given think, us so much. <laughs> well, we need to be prepared because peace of mind, even people who get nervous, if they've fully prepared and they've got either their materials or their backup drive, I believe that having good preparation and proactive approach to life preparation, communication, if that's done, we are so much more at peace. You know, if it takes a checklist for you to remember all the things you need to do in the week before a message, I need to practice it once. I need to put it, my PowerPoint on a thumb drive. Do I need to review my PowerPoint to make sure it's up to date? Do I need to add something for this local group that I'm with? Do you know, have I have this refreshed conversation with the event planner who hired me? You know, it's kind of a checklist. And when you, when you've had that checklist and you're ready and you know, you're ready, then it's just about you giving the performance and being showing up on time. So I would say that that's one thing I would like the listeners to take away is be prepared. And if you need a checklist because you forget things, great, make a checklist. But that's going to take away your stress. Awesome. Listen, you were absolutely fantastic, Monica. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, Bridget, for having me. It's very fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode with Monica Neubauer. She's a rock star. And thank you so much for listening to Own the Microphone. I will catch you next time. <laughs>